va.gov slash reach. That's va.gov slash reach. You know, I grew up hearing that women are bad with money. But like many of you, I spent years paying bills, managing checking accounts, and taking care of my family. So turns out women are pretty good with money after all. And now I'm taking control of my financial future by saving for retirement. It's never too late to start, and there's a great website to help you. Check out WeSaySaveIt.org and jumpstart your retirement savings on your budget and your timeline. That's WeSaySaveIt.org. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick and proud aunt. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing. But not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. One in six. That little girl sitting alone at the playground, she can't play like the other kids. She doesn't have the energy because she's hungry. School lunch will be her only meal today. It breaks my heart that this is the reality in our country, but it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. This food is then provided to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about using your imagination, learning, and having fun. These children shouldn't have to miss out on simply being a kid because they're hungry. To find out how you can help end childhood hunger in your community, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome to Growing Up in America. Bob Sanborn here, Claire Dutre. Hello. And, you know, we never get to the chorus on this song. You know, we're the kids in America. I mean, so. If it's a long intro. If people don't know, they're like, well, why do they use this intro? <laughs> okay, here it comes. It's the whole time it's going to be playing now. Whoa. All right. Welcome to Growing Up in America on 90.1 KPFT Pacifica Radio. Growing up in America is a discussion on our children, public policy. How do we as a city and a community do, do when it comes to taking care of all of our kids? Claire, uh, we've had a super busy week when it comes to taking care of we all of have. our kids. I mean, so far, it's only Wednesday. Taking care of a lot of kids this week. Uh, Monday, we had the statewide rankings of the best uh, best and worst schools yeah. in Texas. And uh, you and I were both down at Carnegie Vanguard, the number one school in the Houston area. Right. Uh, but what a pleasure, right, to see all those principals and to see the superintendent was there from the Houston Independent School District. Uh, it was great to, uh, uh, to see all that. I would love maybe over the next couple of weeks a couple of principals of schools from all over the state that are sort of overperforming right i mean yeah the number of schools that we call gold ribbon which are high performing yet uh, the the great proportion of the kids are from low-income families uh i mean it's it's sort of heartwarming to see some of that it is it is it was nice to hear them too and especially just hear their appreciation they didn't take any credit yeah. all of them were teacher staff support students and so just to hear that community mentality was awesome it was great and then yesterday we were in austin we had a big equity rally mm-hmm. focusing on children in equity and uh uh equity was the buzzword yesterday we had the NAACP in Austin as well wow. saying hey we're going to pull the final four unless Texas straightens up I think it's interesting right sports yeah. becomes the great lever in Texas in terms of what's going to be uh going on so we'll see what see what happens there but we had a great rally uh for equity for children as well so anyway so this week uh, on the show we have uh, some good stuff uh, thumbs up thumbs down uh, the date of the day our teaser numbers 436. Do you know what that is today? 436? I do not. Wow. We're going to be learning about uh, uh, the Discovery U. We're going to be talking about Eat, Drink, Houston, Texas. We're going to go see Jason Sabo under the dome. So we have a number of good things coming up. So, uh, But this is also our favorite, one of our favorite weeks of the year when we do pledges, right? Pledge week, yes. So how does that work, uh, Claire? How do, <laughs> how do people question. do pledges, right? Uh, well, they have to call first, of course, or go online. I did see this morning you can donate your car online to KPFT. Yeah, yeah. Pretty neat. Um, or just a nice donation to 713-526-5738. If you press one, you can donate. If you press two, you could talk to us. Oh, yeah. We're happy to have people talk yeah. to us. But number one, 
Number one is donating, right? Because this is Pledge Week. You know, so we have this radio show, very unique radio show, this on a very unique radio station and a very unique radio network, the Pacifica Radio Network. We want and we need your support so that you are part of this. Uh, give us a call, 713-526-5738. Did I get that right? I can't believe it. 713-526-5738. Yeah, yes. wow, I can't believe it. And uh, go ahead and donate. Uh, little, a lot, all of it goes a long way. So we'll get back to you during the show. Uh, so that you can give a little bit of money during our pledge week. Let's go to, uh, we're talking about recess today. Is that right? We are. Do we have music? Thumbs up, thumbs down music. That was your favorite one. And we're ready for some, okay. So we have no thumbs up, thumbs down music. No, it's just silence today. So, uh, okay. So what is thumbs up, thumbs down anyway? Uh, It is a pretty fun segment where we do some pros and cons and pick our decision. I do know this one. I think it's going to be a unanimous decision, but I do want to talk about it because there's a lot of pushback from the cons, especially statewide, some legislators. And so I want to emphasize the importance of recess. Recess. So why would there be a con against recess? I don't understand that. Doesn't everyone like recess? Uh, yeah, all the kids, all the teachers. And you were so. in the classroom teacher. So I know. Your, I didn't get us. recess. I was a high school teacher. Ah. Though, I did have friends where they did not allot time for recess post-pandemic because of testing, testing, testing. Wow. Um, but they gave me, they had a presentation on it advocating for it. And they had a fact where a student's attention span is half their age. And so oh, wow. the analysis was obviously the students at a certain point just check out. Yeah. So if you don't give them that brain break, especially outside, they... They don't give you the attention for testing time. I remember going to the state legislature and uh, hearing sometimes Sometimes some state legislators are like, oh, of course, kids have to have recess. But I remember trying to explain it, and I would have to explain it in these terms. If you've ever had a dog and you don't take your dog for a walk, they get mischievous, right? They, they do. just do all the wrong things. And kids in many ways are no different. Unless right. they get a little bit of moving around time, a little bit of exercise, they're going to get mischievous and they're not going to be doing the things that we want them to do in the classroom, which is learning. Right, right. I know sometimes it's on, we love schools, we love school districts, but sometimes leaders do want that instructional time. There's also a safety aspect, some parents, playground equipment, um, the environment, if it's in a neighborhood where people might be lurking or dangerous areas. But ultimately, it works out. There's a lot of data behind the benefits of recess. I am thumbs up recess. I'm thumbs up as well. Um, I, I get the pressure that so many schools are under. Uh, with testing. And we also know, I mean, the research is pretty clear that academic time on task, the more time you spend academically, the better. Uh, But some of that is spinning your wheels unless you have the recess because kids are going to come back from recess refreshed, ready to learn. Right. A little settling down time maybe, but then yeah. they come back ready to go. Uh, and so that time on task is important, but you need to have the breaks in there for a recess. So uh, that is our thumbs up and thumbs down, two thumbs up. Oh, so, we got a pledge. So, so while a we're... pledge. Wow. Who do we get? Ricardo, Ricardo from Katie. Ricardo, <laughs> my man. Thank you so much. We so appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. Uh, and this is a good opportunity to thank everyone who's been giving lately. Yes. Uh, we've seen a lot of uh, nice donations continue to give, whether it's online or whether uh, you call in today, 713-526-5738. Uh, we're happy to accept your what is Dwayne Bradley with the magic plastic, the fantastic plastic. I know he goes on the Amex. Petro, Metro. What is, that, is that still American capital one chase? We take it all. Apple pay, Google pay diners club. All, <laughs> all accepted here. Bitcoin. Uh, I think that's accepted. Uh, on the Pacifica Radio Network. Uh, so first up, uh, uh, we have uh, uh, Shabra is with us today. Uh, and uh, Shabra is with uh, <clears throat> Shabra Endley is a licensed social worker. She's with Communities and Schools, and she's the mental health resource in the school. Uh, Shabra, how are you doing today? I don't know if she's on air. Oh, let's maybe get her there's on. Maybe music. I'm Shab- here. There oh, you there are. Is. Okay. Hello. They just didn't have her on there. So, Shabra, tell us a little bit about what you do in terms of mental health and communities and schools. Sure. So, just a little bit of background uh, with Communities and Schools of Houston. We're an educational nonprofit organization that empowers every student, regardless of race, zip code, socioeconomic background, to realize their potential in school and beyond. During the 2022-23 school year, we were in 173 school campuses across the greater Houston area. And in each of those campuses, we have at least one full-time staff member 
um, working to support students and families with, with needs that may arise during the school year. And uh, mental health and wellness support is, is just one piece of that uh, support that we provide. Uh, Shebra, give us a little bit of an idea because you and I have talked about this, right? The the fact that we have so many kids in the state of Texas uh, that have so much need in regards to trauma, whether that's family, things that go on in the family, but even after the pandemic, what is, is this a crisis in our schools today in Texas because so few resources are being spent on mental health? So even before the pandemic, we were seeing a rise in issues such as uh, self-harm, depression, and anxiety in younger children, like starting at age 10. And then once the pandemic started and we had such a long-term disruption to what is normal living and going to school, that created even a higher need with our students uh, that we work with across, you know, K through 12 and college campuses. And the other piece to that was, uh, at, like we're still in the pandemic, but we, we, we've lost a lot of lives uh, in this country uh, to COVID-19. And, uh, and a lot of those lives lost might have been a parent, uh, guardian, aunt, uncle, grandparent, uh, family member. And, and that involves children and children that go to school. So we're seeing a lot of grief uh, as well, hmm. not just the depression, anxiety piece. Yeah, and across, you said 166 Houston schools alone. I know you're all across the state and nation. I'm just pulling up y'all's wonderful statistics. But 99% of the students you serve stayed in school. 96% of the seniors graduated, which is incredible, thinking of just how students are currently recovering and the resources needed. How is involving, you have 350 community partners, home visits, bringing in the parents, the families, the community really helped keep these students in the classroom and encourage them to reach their potential. Are you there, Shebra? What happened? Oh no. Did we lo- we lose we lost Shebra. She may have put her phone on on mute or something. We don't have her. I know it's like we're on a Zoom call. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time I called into her. I was talking Hello? to her radio said, There you are, Shebra. Are you, are you there? Yeah, I just heard some white noise. So oh, I, yeah. no. I got locked uh, out for a minute. Shabra, I was uh, just relaying one time I was on a radio call in. You know, they had me on as a guest, and somehow I put my own phone on mute. And so I, there I was, I had like probably the best answer of my life. And then I realized, and they're like, oh, we. Gave you the solution to all. The I world know what you just did for us. Stuff. You just solved all K twelve. Oh, so, uh, did you hear Claire's question though, Shabra? I don't know if you got that. Claire, I'm probably going to have to hear that question so, again. So, the, give the brief because that was a long. long I know. Question. Sorry, I, I'm a talker. Um, but I was just reading. I'm sure the radio heard and was impressed by all of the effectiveness <laughs> of your work. But how is involving the community and parents such a pivotal piece in keeping these students in school and encouraged? So usually the things that we see with our students when they walk through a communities and schools office on one of our campuses is that it's not a one cause or one issue that's going on. It could be that, uh, you know, there's housing instability uh, that the family is experiencing and that's causing the distress for, for not just the student that's uh, in our office, but the entire family. So involving partners to because uh, we can't do it alone because usually the issues are so multifaceted. And so, for example, talking about grief, we can have our own licensed mental health professionals on the campus, but having a partnership with both place, people who are experts in grief, uh, help us provide an even higher level of service uh, on a campus. And since it's on the campus right there in the community, it eliminates any barriers a family may have in accessing services outside of the campus. Shelbra, one of the things I, w- I wanted to ask you is that uh, we see the schools, that communities and schools is in, that they're in, that you guys are involved in. Uh, you do your darndest with what's available in terms of providing mental health counseling, but you guys serve uh, a relatively, I mean, a good portion, but when you compare to the whole state, right, uh, you're like 1,500 out of the 8,000 schools in the state. 
when you look at some of those other schools that aren't part of the communities and school systems, what are the policies that we need? I mean, do we need to say to schools, your counselor has to do counseling? Or what is it that we can be doing and saying, what can parents demand of their schools in terms of addressing some of these mental health needs? I, I think the biggest issue sometimes is that people have could have a plan, a principal could have a plan, a school district can have a plan, a community can have a plan on how they want to support children and families in their neighborhood. But sometimes what it goes down to, yes, it is a funding issue, and then it also becomes a training issue. So having the right mental health professional that's licensed, that, uh, and once you bring that person onto the campus, that, uh, that, that it's kind of a sacred role that the person has. And because sometimes when, when it's, uh, a, it could be that the person that's on campus, like a school counselor, they could get pulled into other roles on the campus. Yeah. And uh, because just because there's so much going on, right. but to have uh, a designated pure program or person on the campus that's specifically trained, uh, you know, to, to work with trauma, to work with grief and loss, uh, is, is important, but I think where we stand alone is that we're not just one person that we place on a campus. Mm-hmm. They're called student support managers, but behind them is an entire program. And so, because it it doesn't, it's not just one person that can, you know, meet the behavioral health and wellness needs of students on an entire campus, be it elementary or high school. Sometimes it does take leveraging. Uh, other partnerships yeah. and bringing other people in. And so that coordination piece can be a lot for the person if they're also the person who's on the, you know, on the front line also having to deal with a child in crisis or a student in crisis. So really kind of uh, thinking through, like, what kind of model uh, does the yeah. district or school want to use and then keeping it a pure model and it doesn't get, you know, diluted in some way and then i think money sometimes is, yeah. the, is the part that so so in our last minute shabra um i i want to emphasize this is is that sometimes we think we just need to fund more counselors in the schools but it's really sort of the creation of a system of a policy in our schools, sort of a holistic look at what's going on because if you just give more money to the schools for counseling you're going to have there's so many needs in the schools that still counseling may not be met it's you just need to, you either need to put communities in schools or all the schools or have a better system, I guess, isn't that? Yeah, from a policy place, I, I guess that question would, the answer to that would be identifying programs that, uh, that are more holistic, that are evidence-based, um, because it's, yeah. it's not going to just take one professional on a campus. It, it probably takes, uh, you know, something more strategic. A real team, yes. yeah. Very good. Yes. Shabra Endley is with Communities in Schools. She does uh, mental health resources in the schools. And Shabra, thanks for all the work that you guys do at Communities in Schools. And thank you so much for being on the Growing Up in America program today. Well, thank you, you Bob and Claire, for having us on today. Thank you so much. Very of good. Of course. Okay. Hey, you're listening. Go on. Oh. A little music. While the music playing, we want to thank Adam and Jennifer from Houston. I feel like I'm on a call, call-a-thon from Houston, Texas for pledging to the KPFD station. I feel like we're getting a lot. Adam and Jennifer, yeah, thanks so much. Very good. I love how our music just fades out so slightly. I know, that know? was it's, perfect. It's, perfect it's, intro to our next guest. Very good. Hey, George Vanderveer Veer, Vanderveer is with us, and uh, he's with Discover You, which is a great organization, of which we're going to learn a little bit more about. George, how you doing, man? Uh, good. How are you all doing today? We're doing pretty Great. well. Thank you so much. So give us, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with Discover You from the days of Steve Amstutz, but give us sort of yes. the, the quick uh, rundown. If, if people are hearing about Discover You for the very first time, what's the quick uh, version of this, George? Sure. Uh, I think uh, real quick, 
we're an equity of access organization, meaning that we really are committed to uh, removing the barriers that uh, prohibit uh, students from accessing experiential learning. Uh, so think of, yeah. uh, you know, that those STEM camps at major universities, those, you know, those summer programs that I think everyone, every parent really wants their kids to be a part of. We are an organization that works with schools and school districts to try to remove those barriers of access for uh, communities that have historically been denied access to those opportunities. George, I remember one time going to, uh, I think I was the keynote speaker at a Discover You luncheon or something. And, and it yes. was, it was, it was fantastic to hear about some of these extraordinary experiences. And what a lot of people don't realize is that if you come from wealth or if you go to a top notch private school, you get a lot of these sort of outstanding experiences, right? You maybe get to go on a trip to Europe or to study at Columbia. Uh, but, but if you're growing up uh, sort of in a regular neighborhood or a low income neighborhood, you very rarely get these opportunities. Right. But Discover You is there for you, I guess, for, the, for those particular kids. Exactly. I think going back to uh, our founding, uh, we were kind of a, a program started by a principal and a teacher, and they saw that they were getting all these brochures and pamphlets, these amazing opportunities that they knew well-resourced students access every every year. And they knew that there was a host of not only technical skills, or it made them more um, college-ready, but there was a wealth of social-emotional growth that comes with kind of getting out of your school community, getting out of your zip code, and really engaging with different ideas and different people. Um, so uh, committed to try to uh, bridge that gap because we know that uh, for students to succeed, they really need that social emotional growth. Right. And all of Discover You is based on the flow or fantastic learning opportunity. Can you explain yes. what pockets might fall into a flow for any maybe parents, teachers listening and how these might build, build non-cognitive skills for students? Sure, sure. And that's a great question. Uh, so we consider a flow or fantastic learning opportunity any uh, high quality outside of the school career or college preparatory program. So, you know, we, we say, you know, soccer camp's great, but unless there's a kind of career or college preparatory aspect to it, uh, we, we do not consider that a, uh, a flow. So all of our 140 uh, different partner programs uh, are considered a either college or career preparatory program. And for for you, uh, George, what's been the sort of the most interesting flow that you've? I mean, what's the one that when you tell people about it, it really captures people's imagination? Oh, well, that, that that's a great question, and I think it's different for everybody because yeah. I think deep down we. I think everybody's kind of had a flow experience. They might not actually have been a you know discover you kid, but there's been some kind of catalyst experience. Um, I think ones in which. Uh, Students are really able to see outside of their um, their immediate surroundings. So I think I think uh, a host of our international uh, flow opportunities have been life changing for students. Uh, I think. Uh, hey, give us a specific example, George. Sure. Um, so I think we have a. Uh, a program with uh, Pranic Foundation, which sends kids to uh, India, oh, and wow. they kind of uh, work with a uh, school there, and they kind of do a cultural exchange and kind of learn from uh, students over there. And then also, um, there is an amazing program, uh, Youth Without Business, which is uh, takes kids to uh, Wall Street, and they do a mergers and acquisitions camp. And they kind of see and understand, like, you know, if you want to be in this world, uh, this is kind of what it's about. And uh, a lot of our students feel uh, very uh, empowered and feel like, hey, I could do this. I, I'm, I, I can hang. Um, so I think th we have a host of, of different opportunities that I think really get kids outside of their environment and really expose them to that much wider world. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of structural barriers in our society that kind of keep kids within their zip code. And the ones that can really bust them out uh, have been, I think, the most transformative. Yeah, it really is awesome, George. I taught in a district where it was shocking. So many of my students didn't even leave their neighborhood, really, like never been downtown yeah. and explored Houston. So just hearing about the opportunities to even tour a college. If yeah. you weren't in right? like the college, um, it wasn't a mer I aspire. It really was not an opportunity as much so because of buses and numbers to be able to just go exactly. visit local universities this is awesome yeah it's amazing uh do, how many districts are you guys working with george and how many schools are you guys a part of right now 
We're in 102 different school communities. Wow. Um, we're, we're in all HISD high schools, but we have um, minor partnerships with uh, Spring, Spring Branch, Klein, and Aldine. And we're also in a uh, KIPP East End and uh, Crystal Ray Jesuit in Houston as well. And we've also recently uh, had a partnership with uh, Texas Connections Academy of Houston, yeah. which is a virtual school that serves statewide. So we're now this year uh, officially a statewide organization, and we're serving kids uh, through that partnership. Very good. George Vanderveer is CEO. It's, and it's Vanderveer. Is that right, George? Correct. Vanderveer, yes. Yeah, very good. He's the CEO of Discover U. And how do you get information on discoveru.edu? Or where is it? What is it? Discoveru.edu? Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, Anybody can go to www.discoverus.org, uh, and there's all that type of information on there. So if you're a parent and want to, you know, in your school community, if you want to volunteer, if you want to donate, just go to uh, discoverus.org. Very good. Awesome. Hey, George, thanks so much, and thanks for being part of the Growing Up in America program. Uh, thanks for having me. I really right. appreciate it. All righty. Very good. All right, what's that music? Uh, that is Taylor Swift. Oh, that's Karma. T- yeah, Karma. Don't worry. Oh, very good. You got it covered, right? So, I know, uh, I know. I'll be yeah. seeing her soon. If anyone else is joining me in Houston, <laughs> are you? You're, and you're all set on that, right? I so. am. I am. I'm. I think I'm Friday, so if you want to call in and join, <laughs> just kidding, I don't have tickets. Oh, very good. Date of the day, we have Layla, Layla Mazzali, who is the director of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation at Children at Risk. The number of the day, 436. Have you thought about this a little bit, Claire? What is 436? I just read what it was. Oh, you but found out I what it was. I have so, been thinking, and I didn't come up with anything. But I know that Claire has been super engaged with the school rankings and ratings, so I'm going to say... 436 A schools uh, in the city, in the in the Houston, greater Houston area. Is that it, Layla? Well, you're right that it is a positive number, um, but not quite. But other than so that, you're completely wrong, close. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there were 436 gold ribbon schools in the state of Texas in this year's school rankings. Oh, wow. That's Very good. So, so tell us, what is a gold ribbon school, Layla? Yeah, great question. So Gold Ribbon Schools, um, Gold Ribbon status is awarded to schools that serve a population of students that's 75% or more economically disadvantaged. And then they also receive an A or a B overall for their their campus rating. And how does that compare to uh, the last time there was a big school rankings, which before the pandemic, uh, 2019? Yeah, so the number of gold-driven schools has decreased. In 2019, there was 583 across Texas, and this year there was 436. So we're still seeing those effects of the pandemic. And was that the same in the greater Houston area? So the greater Houston area had 72 gold-driven schools this year, down from 82 in 2019. Wow, wow. And before Bob can say something about it, where is the bright spot in Texas this year? (laughs) <laughs> it is not all bad. You are right. Um, yeah, the bright spot is the Rio Grande Valley. So the Rio Grande Valley, despite serving the highest proportions of economically disadvantaged students, also was the highest performing region in the state. Um, their campuses averaged Bs overall. They had the highest AP slash IB um, international baccalaureate participation rate of 37% in the state. Um, and they also had the most gold ribbon schools in the state. So, so how does that work, Layla, right? Here you have uh, arguably one of the poorest regions in the country uh, compared to, say, Dallas and Houston, uh, Austin with all this wealth. How does the Rio Grande Valley do better uh, than some of these other major cities in Texas? You know, I don't have that answer for you, but I think we should be looking to the Rio Grande Valley to learn how we can better serve our low-income students. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. Like when we go down there and visit, though, right? I mean, what you see are a lot of uh, superintendents or sort of activist superintendents, right? They're they're about doing every single thing possible to make sure those kids are successful, and not only activists to do everything possible, but to follow the evidence, right? What does right. the evidence say is going to change the lives of these kids? That's a big deal. Yeah, were you there? I know we had a few team members in the El Paso region, Rio Grande. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So I'm curious to see what they learned. But they had cool experiences, like you said, talking. I wouldn't be surprised, too, if a lot of these schools were based on a community and put these resources in the child's lives first. Um, of course, learning up there. But I think that's where they see a lot of success, I would assume. And leadership is a big part of it, right? I mean, huge, you talk to huge. these superintendents and you see across the board, they're emulating each other's best practices. Uh, they're going all out. And, and you know, the longer the time on task is significant down in the valley as well. Uh, longer school day and you know, maybe a longer school week. Uh, uh, so they're doing everything possible. They have these huge after school programs, right, where they yeah. serve supper, you know, as well as a free breakfast yeah. and lunch. And so it's just amazing to see the things that are happening in the Valley. So it's, uh, Layla, I look forward to you on your next visit, us going down to the Valley so that you could see some of the stuff that's going on down there. Um, tell, us, to it as well. tell us a little bit more about, uh, uh, gold ribbon schools in regards to, uh, I mean, why is this important for us? I, I, I guess what 63% of our school kids are low income in the state of Texas. So th- this is one of the reasons. Yeah, so I would say Gold Ribbon Schools, first of all, are really important just to highlight and celebrate the success of these schools um, doing amazing work, serving students who are facing numerous obstacles both inside and outside the classroom. So first of all, just to celebrate these schools and also then to learn from them. Um, These schools are both high performing and high poverty, which tells us that they're doing something that's working that we can learn from. And of course, you know, it's not necessarily reproducible across all schools, um, but there is definitely some lessons to take away from them. You know, I did yeah. uh, an interview for uh, one of the local TV stations and for uh, uh, for some different media recently about school vouchers. And I talked about how there are examples of how to do this well. We don't have to, you know, take resources out of the system and try something new. Right. We have plenty of good examples. Why don't we just emulate those? And you see those in Houston, uh, many schools in Houston's. You certainly see it in the Valley. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, very good. Layla Mazzali, the director of the Center for Social Measurement and Evaluation with our date of the day. Thank you, Layla, for being on the Growing Up in America program. Thanks, y'all. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Speaking of Gold Ribbon Schools, we have Erica Milson, who is an A-plus literacy performing coach. I said it already, but that's for Texas A-plus. And she's going to tell us a little bit about student engagement. But I mentioned, because one of the schools she's at is our Gold Ribbon School. I think you said number three, right, Erica? Yes, Albright Middle School. Woo, shout out. (laughs) And I think that's one of eight in Houston Middle Schools. So that is incredible. Right. I'm so excited for them. When we received the news and we saw the rankings, like the specialists and I celebrated. It was very exciting to see all of their hard work pay off. Right. And what have you seen either on student engagement or in general, the school culture that you think brought them to this distinguished award? I'm noticing that a lot of the teachers, one, are extremely intentional about um, how they engage students with the work. So they set expectations for student learning outcomes, and then they plan based off of that. So, and I only can give like a literacy lens, um, but if they know like most of their students tend to struggle with a specific genre, then they won't start off with topics that they um, significantly aren't interested in, and they'll pull topics that they are interested in, music, sports, dating, um, social media, all of that stuff. And then they'll weave in other the other topics because we do want them to be exposed to those topics. But I just noticed that they're very intentional at the very beginning, like in the planning stages, um, when they're thinking about student engagement and the outcomes in terms of their learning. Yeah. That's so important, too, the intention. Um, Students, especially as an old teacher, their interests change very fast. And so an engaging lesson lesson five years ago is kind of boring to them now, and they will tell you straight up. So it's exciting to hear um, middle school teachers keeping up with students and having that intention. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, Erica, Uh, I I wanted to ask you, um, you know, when you think about the work that's happening across Texas, I mean, seeing these school rankings, what is the difference, I mean, that you see between an engaged school and a non-engaged school or an engaged classroom and a non-engaged classroom? 
I think the biggest thing, like, so most of them have the same um, resource. So they're receiving scripted lessons. Most of their lessons are planned. And so in the classes where kids aren't necessarily engaged, the teacher is following the plan verbatim. In the classrooms where students are far more engaged, teachers have adapted the lessons and they've incorporated other things based on what they know about their kids. Um, So I think as teachers, you know, look, pay attention, pull the data that they know about their students in terms of interests and abilities and uh, and apply that to the um, lessons that they have that would really like amp up their engagement. Um, But that tends to be the norm. Like if they follow the script verbatim, you'll see very um, medium to low engagement from most of the students. And, and one last question I wanted to ask you, Erica, is you and I were both at that equity rally yesterday on the steps in Austin. And uh, subsequently, you and I talked about this idea of there are a lot of classrooms, uh, whether you're a Latino student or an African-American student, uh, where the teacher maybe doesn't look like you, right? How different, mm-hmm. how difficult is it to engage? And, and we know there are no excuses, but talk a little bit about this idea of a Latino student who practically never sees a Latino teacher or an African-American student who doesn't ever see a, an African-American uh, teacher in certain subjects. So talk a little bit about engagement there. Yeah, so I'm trying to see how best to explain that. Like, obviously, most teachers, they're going to teach given their background, their yeah. history. Yeah. And so if your background does not match your audience, you're going to lose a lot of them. And believe it or not, we've had those conversations before at our campuses when we noticed that happening. And um, one of the coaching moves or tips that we offer as a teacher is learn. Um, learn your audience. And that means get into the text, get into their environment, learn what they are, what they are around when they're not in class, how they live, so that you can make those connections with them and, and engage them more in the lesson in the classroom. Um, but to just bring your background when you know that the audience is not familiar with your background makes it very challenging in the classroom. And, and this isn't a simple, you know, a lot of white teachers sort of thing, because we see this right with high schools that have historically been African-American high schools that are now becoming increasingly Latino. And it, it's sort of all across the board, right, where we're sort of in some cases we're missing the boat with some of our kids. Absolutely. I mean, we see it with predominantly Hispanic classrooms with the African-American teacher. Um, It's very challenging for that teacher to engage that audience if she's not aware of the fact that she needs to learn about that audience and figure out how to best engage them on their um, experiences and their background. Thank you. Erica Milson is an A-plus literacy performance coach with uh, the Texas A-plus Challenge, which is part of Children at Risk. Uh, Erica, thank you so much for being on the program. Uh, Thanks for being on Growing Up in America. Thanks, Erica. Thank you. All right. There's no outro music. (laughs) He's waiting. (laughs) Very good. Hey, let's do a little pledging. I know. Back to the call. call So uh, this is a good time to say call us because we are at... We are at 713-526-5738. You're going to press one to pledge and then two to talk to us and tell us that you pledge. Very good. And uh, I think we need to uh, have a couple of thanks. We have uh, Gretchen, who just pledged a nice big check as well. Gretchen, Gretchen Himsel is always a good supporter. I know. She is. She is. She actually supports every week, KPFT, <laughs> yeah. by listening to this show specifically. Oh, we had feedback. Hannah last week, which was really good. And then we have Gretchen this oh, week. Oh, I, I mean, did it's, not yeah, yeah. hear so, last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, we're doing pretty well. So listen, it's so important that if you support programs like this where we're talking about education like we just did with Erica uh, and Discover You or whether we're talking about mental health in the schools uh, or the range of issues around children you know it's this is a very unique program there aren't many shows like this Claire and I think this is stations or stations right so you need to support uh, the Growing Up in America program you need to support KPFT and the great work that's going on here uh, in the community this is a community radio station 713-526 Six five seven three eight seven one three five two six five seven three eight and press number one. Press right? number one because you are number one in our hearts, and we want you to make for you to 
to be make us number one in your hearts, certainly for today or for these next five minutes as you donate uh, on your credit card. Yeah, Erica's great. What do you remember about your favorite teacher? Why was oh, your wow. teacher your favorite? You know what? I, I had a, a favorite uh, teacher. Um, uh, in Puerto Rico, we'd say Missy, Missy Perez, so Mrs. Perez, Perez. And uh, I think uh, what was great about her was that you know, it's all personal. She paid a lot of attention to me. And I think she was sort of forcing the issue that I could be a much better student than I was. And she was like always picking on me. I thought she was picking on me, but she was really just pushing me to be better. And so, uh, uh, and it was, it was a going to school in Puerto Rico was not easy. I I remember your, your textbooks would be stolen at every, uh, every turn. Uh, you know, and it was, uh, did you have to carry all the textbooks in the backpack? Yeah, There were no lockers. You you carried everything. And then I loved basketball. And so if I would stop on the court to play basketball, textbooks would be gone. That might be why your teacher was hard on you actually (laughs) looking back. So, and I stopped to play basketball. And those of you who don't know me, I was like the tallest kid in the classroom. (laughs) The star of the team. We're going under the dome. All right, we're under the dome, and uh, but a little Latino music to bring in. Jason did that just for you, Senor Sabo, Jason Sabo, under the dome. How you doing, man? I'm great. How are you guys? Very good. Trouble calling in. I think that the phone lines were so jammed up with people <laughs> calling KPFC to give you money. That's exactly, exactly. what it was. That's exactly. I, I couldn't get in. And I want to Once thank you for time. your. I want to thank you in advance for your pledge as well, Jason. So thank you so so very much, Jason. Uh, we've had a couple of fun-filled days at the state capitol. Uh, I want to ask you about, uh, and you and you may not be on top of this, but to me this is a, an interesting thing. Uh, we've had the governor and the lieutenant governor both say some things about equity and diversity in our state uh, that don't sit well with many of us, right? And I'm wondering, when you have the NAACP come to town and say, let's pull the final four from Houston, uh, let's pull the women's final four from Texas, uh, is that going to motivate our state legislature to do anything different, or does it just sort of egg them on? You know, we'll see, because the yeah. legislature is going to respond to pressure. And I don't think necessarily, for me, I'm not watching what the legislature does. Yeah, I think this is an interesting moment to watch what the business community does. Mm. Yeah. Because when you think about the NFL or you think about the NCAA, it's a TV show, right, with advertisers and money. It's all about the money, right? And for me, what we've seen over the course of the last couple of sessions, the business community who used to kind of step out on stuff like this, this is important to them, yeah. step out on things about about the importance of, of diversity, equity, inclusion, specifically, and let's call it out, racial equity. Yep. Yeah. And we're not seeing that now. And I think that if you look at, like, what's happening in Florida right now, where there's a special session going on to basically, you know, mess with Disney's tax status, (laughs) it's a different era when the business community is is afraid to step out at all. I'm not expecting the business community to come out, you know, like, you know, gangbusters. They're not advocates. They're in there to make money. I understand that. But the reality is that, for all practical purposes, they've been silent the last yeah. few, couple yeah. of years. Yeah. Are they going to step out now? I'm, I don't know. Uh, the other thing I wanted to ask you was that uh, as we looked at the quality of our schools in the state of Texas on Monday, we had big press conferences all over the state. And what was very clear is that the pandemic has had this tremendous negative impact on the majority of our schools. And some schools have done fine. We've talked about those. But the majority of our kids just aren't doing well in school. And is there a chance, you know, with a $30 billion surplus, and I I know the answer to this, Jason, but I think it needs to be talked about. Is there a chance that our state legislature says children are our future? Uh, $30 billion extra? To the teachers. We're going to spend it on public education education and early education and we're going to make sure that our kids are successful so that solidifies a positive and growing economy in the future any chance of that jason no (laughs) maybe one percent you know but but, i mean i'm gonna defend the legislature 
the legislature, it's a, it's a, it's a mirror as much as anything. And we forget that sometimes. You always think about they go to Austin and do stuff to us. But that's such a cop-out, right? Because the reality is we are Austin and Austin is us. And, you know, and when we're talking about the budget, what they're going to do, we've heard time and time again, is going to be the priority is property tax cuts. Mm-hmm. And looking at property tax cuts, they're, they're, do, they're not doing that because they, that's the thing that just pops to mind. They're doing that because that's what they hear about from their voters. And until voters start talking about kids' issues and voting on kids' issues and holding voters, I'm sorry, holding elected officials accountable for the votes that they do and don't take on behalf of children, I, I, we're, we're not going to be the priority. Right. Yeah, very good. You have a final question for uh, Under the Dome with Sabo, Claire? Oh, that is a lot to put on me. What What is some positive or one positive note that you can see to happen in Texas through this legislative session or keep us hopeful? Well, no, absolutely. I think that it's a good thing to remember. There are a lot of important conversations. So people are right. stepping up on certain issues. And, you know, the business community is coming forward this session around things like child care. Right. It's an enlightened self-interest, right? Because if you don't have child, if you don't have child care subsidies for low-income working families, you can't get low-income folks to come work low-wage jobs. Correct. Right. Let's be clear. It's why it's, it's, it's a benevolent self-interest, and that's okay. They're coming and they're talking about the importance of investing in child care, looking at it through the lens of a, a works a workplace support. We've often had business voices at the Capitol, and Bob's been a part of this for yeah. 20 years, where you would have the business community talk about the importance of investing to build, you know, for the long term, to make that smart investment now. We get the biggest return on your investment. Investing early, investing young, amplifies as a kid grows up right into adulthood. And, you know, now, though, the business community is stepping forward in a really big way and saying, we can't get people to make the hamburgers on Thursday, right, because mm-hmm. they, they can't find child care. So it's no longer about the workforce of the consumers 20 years in the future. It's about the workforce next week. And that's a different conversation. And I think that we're going to see legislative action on child care. All right, Jason Sabo, under the dome, man. Thanks so much. We'll see you uh, next week, Jason. Oh. All right. Up next with us is our... Uh, uh, our chef of the week, Brandy Key, is with us. She's with uh, the Daily Gather, which is one of the great restaurants, and she's here to talk about Eat Drink HTX, which is a uh, program going on where you go to your local favorite restaurant, like the da- Daily Gather, uh, have a meal, and part of that money will be donated in the fight against hunger uh, to food bank children at risk. Uh, chef Brandy, how you doing today? I'm doing great. Hi, how are you? Very good. Nice to have you on the program. And the Daily Gather, is is that, do I recall, is this where they had the great elote cornbread? Is that right? Ooh. Yes, that it is. Yeah, Daily <laughs> is that on the eat drink cornbread. menu? Oh. Um, actually, it's not. It's oh. So you're going to have to order it separately. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Uh, very. Tell us a little bit about why you guys and your team at the Daily Gather have decided to to be part of this effort to uh, try to fight hunger. Well, at Daily Gather, you know, we we really want to celebrate that time that happens, you know, around a table and eating and spending yeah. time with one another. Yeah. And so our our community efforts and how we like to align just with what's going on around us is really really important for us. Um, I personally, the chef in this town, have been connected with the Houston Food Bank and Cleverly and Katie for for years. And this is the first time for us to actually get to do the Eat Drink HTX. And we're super excited because we love the fact that there's another way that we can help. And and that helping is obviously with children at risk. So um, super excited to start having some people try this food and be able to give back as well. Yeah, I don't think a lot of my friends especially know Restaurant Week, but they don't know the mission behind it. And to just have all these restaurants like Daily Gather want to support and give back. It's just so, so important to go out to your local restaurants and support. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Brandy, if I'm going to Daily Gather for the first time, whether I'm not, whether I'm on Eat Drink HDX or not, what's going to be, you as the chef, what's going to be the dish that you say, oh, you better try this or or at least get this? What what would you say, Brandy? So for me, it's it's two things. One of the things is actually on our Eat Drink HDX. So you could try this 
um, on this menu. But one of the things is our meatballs. Mm. It's an all-beef meatball. It's got mirepoix in it, sprays and San Marzano tomatoes. We like to serve it with a little whip of whipped ricotta on the plate. So you can kind of yes. soak up that meatball and some ricotta and some nice red sauce. Um, I am a 100% biased, but I think it's one of the best meatballs in town. Yeah, and if, like if you come to daily, if you come to daily gather, it's a really, it's a really great dish. Um, the other thing that I would recommend for our guests out there listening to come in and try, yep, is uh, we lost. Oh, it's like a dramatic pause. Oh man, I was just getting into this food. I know I'm on a shake cleanse. This is killing me. <laughs> Are you really? I <laughs> am. Uh, I'll get off of it probably by tomorrow when I'm at Daily Gather for their Eat Drink Houston menu. So, uh, I wonder what's going on, huh? No, oh, no problem. We we can't hear. So many pledges Chef coming in. We're Brandy. having. So okay. So man, so I really want. I, uh, I want to go out to the Daily Gather. I know though, for right? those meatballs alone, she didn't even need to keep going. <laughs> I was that ready was for the I second needed. dish too. So. I know. All right, so we're going to take the whole team out to the Daily Gather. So uh, very good. And so uh, we're going to transition to our last segment, but check out Eat Drink Houston. It's just eatdrinkhouston.com. HTX. HTX. The stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. All right. Let's go all the way up to Dallas. We love Dallas. We do. We love Never been yet. The big, but I the love big it. D. No, I love the Big D. Catherine McCartney is with us. Catherine is the C. Oh, Catherine is the CEO of uh, Head Start of Greater Dallas. Catherine, how you doing today? <laughs> Catherine. Catherine. Do we have Catherine on the line? We don't. We have her down. Oh, oh, we lost no. Catherine. The oh, pledges are killing us today. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We're making goodness. millions. Oh, man. I so, know. Catherine uh, is a speaker for a summit, so if, I think we're getting her back. So we have the, the big summit tomorrow. This is right. the uh, uh, State of Black Children in Texas, mm-hmm. and we have speakers from all over the state of Texas talking about health, education, uh, child care, child care some of the uh, justice issues that we're having. Uh, but uh, people, there's still availability, I guess, of people. There it's is, virtual. of course. Yeah, there's virtual. If you go to childrenatrisk.org.com. I don't want to dot mess org. it up. Dot dot org. Org. Okay, perfect. Um, and it should just be one of the first things under upcoming events. So if we can't get Catherine back, she will be talking about how to build a bridge to quality education tomorrow, 10 a.m., She's not coming back. Apparently, apparently they've lost her completely. All these pledges. So I'm going to We could do the fun I'm, five. No, I'm going to do the fun five with you, Claire, because you know what? I've heard from so many people they love this part of the program. So <laughs> that's why so, they're pledging. Claire, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Uh, I've answered this. It's very corny, but I wanted to be a teacher when I was growing up. I remember for Christmas I got a big teaching set. Oh, we have Catherine back. Oh, that's good. Oh, they cut me uh, off. Good. They did not so, want to hear me answer so, the fun five. Uh, we really wanted to hear about your teaching. <laughs> Catherine, are you with us? Yes, I am. Look oh, at perfect. you, Catherine. I'm sorry we lost you there for a minute. Catherine, talk a little bit about the work that Head Start is doing up in Dallas. Because uh, obviously, to have kids that are high performers in so schools, they have to have a good Head Start. Talk a little, a little bit about what you guys are doing. Well, I think that's our whole philosophy is we want children to be ready. Uh, for kindergarten and their next level. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that is embedded in the Head Start philosophy is uh, equity for all children. Of course, all children do not come to us uh, on an equal uh, yeah. level. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what we try to do, we individualize for each one of those children. Everybody comes with a different set of experiences and different levels. But one of the main things that we want to encourage at all times is our parents as partners in their child's education. We don't profess to know everything about your child, but you know your child better than we do. And together as partners, your child can get the best head start as possible. Yeah, we talked a little bit earlier about how similar philosophies of communities and parents can really 
see success. I'm sure you'll talk about this a little tomorrow at the summit, but what does Mm -hmm. equity look like from a program standpoint and from education standpoint? Okay, equity um, and our program is addressed through our families, our children, and our teaching staff. We want to give everyone uh, opportunities to grow as individuals. And as I said a few minutes ago, it's when children uh, come to us, they're at different levels. But through uh, interactions with the parents, uh, teachers getting to know the parents, uh, looking at the children's background, their cultural backgrounds, what's important to them, that is how we provide equity in our educational system with the Head Start program. And that's the philosophy uh, throughout the Head Start programs throughout the nation. Catherine, yeah, Catherine. A lot of times when we're in Austin and we hear legislators talk about Head Start, it's almost like Republicans want to treat Head Start as like this red meat. You know, they no matter what the evidence shows, right? They want to sort of have a knee jerk reaction against Head Start. But talk about the difference. And you're speaking tomorrow at the state the the summit of black uh, the summit on the state of black children and talk a little bit about the difference. What a difference does Head Start or early education and high quality pre-K, what is that? What difference does it make for a young black child as they're growing up? Well, I think first of all, we have to provide experiences for them. Uh, I think that this, we want to encourage them to explore, to learn, um, to get to know your environment and what you're capable of we want to give them that security in the environment where they can learn ask questions uh, experiment and be part of the conversation in the classroom we encourage our parents to encourage our children there's nothing you can do uh, you can't do to put your mind to it give opportunities Um, a big part of that is parent education We give parents um, activities and opportunities to work with your child at home. So we want them to be well-rounded. And also we work with our parents to become advocates for their children Mm. when they move on to uh, the next level. Yeah, that's so so important. very important. Yeah. You ready to do a couple fun questions with uh, Catherine uh, from Head Start, Claire? I I, I I want to start with my favorite. Catherine, what did you want to be when you were growing up? Well, believe it or not, I always wanted to be, um, I wanted to be a doctor. Ah. Oh. But so, then I kind of got out of that. But I, I love, you're still helping I still people. love the medical field. You know, yeah. I'm always exploring. Uh, a lot of people say I'm a hypochondriac. But, uh, <laughs> oh, that's I'm good. Always, you're just cautious. You know, looking at the medical field. Yeah. What was your favorite book to read or be read to as a child? Oh, gosh, that's so long ago. I don't remember. <laughs> or maybe a book you love to read to the kiddos. To kids. What's your favorite yeah. children's book? Okay, one of my favorite children's books is Good Night Moon. Oh, I love yeah. that book. Yeah, that's a great And one. I think a lot of children love it as well. Mm-hmm. And then a final question for you. When you were growing up, Catherine, what was your favorite TV show? Ozzy and Harriet. Oh, wow. Ozzy and Harriet. Oh, Catherine. I think you're a teenager. I'm I'm guessing this, Catherine, that you're a teenager, right? As Ozzy and Harriet is some newfound show, I'm sure. Well, sure. yes, yes, yes. Still we will, on the we air. Will go, we will go with that. Yeah. Oh, very uh, good. Perfect. All right, Catherine, thank you so much. Catherine McCartney is the CEO of Head Start, Greater, uh, Greater Dallas. Thanks for being on the program. Thank you for having me. All right, and that's it for Growing Up in America. Claire, thank you so much. Well, thank you. We do this every week for, for children. If you love them enough to listen to them practice the same song on tuba. Please be done. 
over and over and over and over and over, then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're correctly buckled in the back seat. Sounds good, honey. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. This is KPFT Houston, 90.1 FM and FM HD1. When you're high, you feel different. You think different, you talk different, you draw different, you listen to music different, but you probably knew that. Problem is, you also drive different, and not in a good way. That's why driving high is illegal everywhere. So if you're high, just don't drive. Make a plan to get a sober ride. Because if you feel different, you drive different. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. To protect his home and family from disaster, Steve used courage, wisdom, and his camera phone. That should do it. Way to go, Steve. By simply taking digital pictures of his family's important documents, Steve can always have them stored safely online, no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready, 